Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today I have the Professor. Hello. Ah, what's, how's it going, Professor? I'm having a lot of fun at work. Had a computer catch fire the other day. <laughs> How does it catch fire? I'm not sure yet. I haven't had a chance to autopsy. <laughs> but, uh, I got a ticket that said when they came in in the morning, the computer had been left on all night. It was making a screaming noise, so they turned it off. And when they tried to turn it back on again, smoke started coming out. <laughs> so now the magic smoke's come out, that computer's never going to work again. The magic smoke is an in- integral part of most electronics. And once it comes out, it's <laughs> can't put it back in so now comes the fun part you're gonna have to play you're gonna have to play the autopsy guy like like the person in csi and go okay we've got here a very very burnt up computer i want to if i can what's that uh, i want to if i can but we were going to throw that computer out anyway (laughs) are you gonna uh, try and salvage the data from it no it's all backed up because we're clever we have our backups done properly mostly And for those who are wondering where is Buck, um, he's taking a sabbatical this week, and oh, we're allowed to do that. Oh well, we could take. All we, right. we could. All right. See you next week. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Anything to get away from you, DJ. <laughs> Hey, 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 hey. Uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a nice... I'm not a nice guy. <laughs> You're not a nice guy? Well, I was going to say I am a nice guy, but dang, that, that came out wrong. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, Professor, you've got a story about Valve Index and Half-Life Alex. Well, it's not just the, uh, the Valve Index, but that's the main one. Half-Life Alex comes out in about a month now. They've announced the 23rd of... Uh, March. And since the announcement of Half-Life Alex, it's been impossible to find the Valve Index for sale anywhere. Even if you happen to be lucky and live in a first world country where it's sold, sold unlike Australia. Uh um, They sold out basically right away and haven't been able to get it in stock yet. But uh, it looks like they're not the only ones having trouble. I saw today that the that Oculus are having to delay some of their orders because of the coronavirus. Oh. Yeah, that- it turns out shutting down all the factories has an effect on the economy. Who would know? <laughs> see, that's going to be... T- see, that's one way to lose money. <laughs> well, it sucks, but hopefully these companies will be well enough off that they can uh, keep producing after this. And it sucks for Valve when <laughs> the all the indexes are sold and you can't buy anything else. I mean, it's cool that they have a... It, it's fun that there's a lot of people wanting to buy the Valve index, but... <laughs> well, not, every person they can't sell to now, they're leaving money on the table. Oh, man. So hopefully they can get their manufacturing line going soon because there's nothing on the market that quite competes with the index. It's the uh, very top tier VR set. But wait, no, not even imagine... like, wait, not even like the um, Samsung ones and Sony's? Graphically, yes. But uh, in terms of the interface, a lot of um, top tier headsets use inside out tracking which is less reliable, easier to set up, but less reliable. You can lose track of things if they go behind you. Um, but there's also the controllers. So the Valve Index comes with a um, with knuckles controllers, which track each finger individually. Mm-hmm. And Half-Life Alex is going to be optimized for the Index. So it's basically the similar thing with um, games back in the day where they say, oh, this game cannot will play beautifully on the NVIDIA or this is an AT-only game, that kind of scenario, hey? Well, it's compatible, but there's just added features that you can only get with Index. Yeah. yeah. If you're lucky um, and you already own a Valve, uh, sorry, a Vive, you can buy just the Knuckles, but I believe they're still sold out as well. <laughs> so it's... um. Kind of take a little while for them to kick the manufacturing back into gear. Hopefully, they can get it uh, up and running soon. You reckon this is a resurgence of VR? 
I think it hasn't even peaked yet. So there was those early attempts in the 80s and 90s, like the Virtual Boy, which were frankly a bit rubbish. The tech was not there yet. I think now the tech is there and we're just seeing the market adaptation mm. because uh, the percentage of people who own, like of gamers who own a VR headset is fairly low. And I think it, there's heaps of room in the market, which is why you're seeing so many companies with their own take on it. Yeah, yeah. So with index, so with um, Alex in a month away, you reckon they'll? Do you reckon index will cut? Will basically uh, compensate? I don't think they can catch up with uh, sales now. I think there's been no indication that they're getting their um, getting it together yet. I think either they're hoping that uh, either they were hoping to ramp up and didn't realize just how big it would be, or they have been delayed more than you'd think by the uh, coronavirus. But that's a but dangerous mix, can, though. Yeah, that's a it's very a dangerous really, mix. Really unfortunate coincidence. Yeah, and plus, here's the thing, though. This is the Half Life franchise. I mean, you and I, my, you and I, have grown up with the Half Life franchise. Yeah, I mean, and to see Half Life Alex back into the fold after so many years of news and updates, it kind it's like yes. Finally, something, some joy. I mean, they should. Val should have anticipated that move. Well, yeah, they they really. I think they probably heavily underestimated what they were going to get out of it. But um, I don't know the Valve like anyone could have had the production capacity to keep up. Hmm. Yeah, it kind of, yeah, it's kind of sucks though. Now that with all the recent situations like the coronavirus and everything, halting production, outsourcing would be a bad, bad choice right about now. Well, they they're not outsourcing now. They had the factories in China already. Yeah, yeah. So I take it, Yuri or Yuri, have your um, index? Nope. You're not going to get it? I was going to, but <laughs> Valve won't sell one to me because they're out of stock. <laughs> so it's entirely possible that if I get around to buying a, uh, a VR headset by, well, when I get around to it, if the index isn't in stock, I'll have to go for a different brand. So come on, Valve, shut up and take my money. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would be pretty. Imagine Valve hears this now. Like, okay, we go give one to the professor. A special edition, the Professor series. I wish. <laughs> but yeah, so buying sub, buying like alternatives to the Valve Index would not work that well. Mm. Well, they'll work fine. It's just you won't have the knuckles controllers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. So, final thoughts on this? Um, on this though. Uh it's. It's just disappointing that uh, no matter how much you want to buy one at the moment, you can't. Yeah. Uh, I have faith that Alex is going to be a quality product. Yeah. Because it's um, it's a Valve game. It's a Half-Life game. I just hope Half-Life Alex doesn't screw up as badly as how Blizzard is screwing up Warcraft Reforged. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a bit worrying. But Valve does have the original team back for Alex. Thank God. Yeah, Thank God. so um, they've even got Mark Laidlaw, who a couple of years ago officially left Valve and published a short story based on Half-Life, which um, the fan theory is that this is the story that he wanted to write but gave up on because nothing was happening, and he uh, published it just to get it out there. But they've even got him back on as a uh, consultant. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I, I'm just hoping, like as you uh, as you said as well, like I'm hoping they recover from this and get Half Life Alex um, as a quality product. So yeah, I'm with you yeah. on this one. Okay. Um. Anyways, moving along, uh, we've got some interesting news on the He Man series. But before I before I announce the topic, I just want to say this: I have the power. No, you can't do it. Ah, oh, crud! <laughs> I, I put my, I put a lot of effort on it this time. Yeah, but your voice is just too high to begin with. <laughs> You're more of a skeletal than a he-man. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> Dang it to hell! <laughs> Anyways, um, so 
a couple of days ago, the cast has been announced for the Netflix special, which is the which is Mattel's attempt to reboot the classic Masters of the Universe franchise series, and it is one heck of a star-studded cast. Uh, Mark Hamill is going to play as Skeletor. Well, can he do the uh, Skeletor voice right? Oh, I mean, he's done he's... the. Jo- I mean, he's done the Joker voice proud. Yeah, he's a pretty talented voice actor. There's actually a uh, video that DC made of all of the characters he plays in um, in one of the Batman animated shows, and it's so he kidnap kidnaps himself, uh, fights himself, has someone else who played by him rescue him. It's like <laughs> half a dozen characters in this one short, all played by Mark Hamill. <laughs> I want to see that video now. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, who else is in this lovely cast? Um, Alan Oppenheimer, the original Skeletor, he plays as Mossman. And there's no shot. And there's no, and there's a moment of silence. Well, I was trying to find that video for you. Ah, fair enough. I don't remember who is Mossman. It's been a long time. Uh, Mossman is here. We go. This is Mossman. Oh, that guy. <laughs> Although in the old He-Man, although in the the He-Man figurines are very interesting when you look at it. Yeah. Now, the most important question about this is, will it feature that song by Four Non Blondes? <laughs> if it does... <laughs> if it does, the new meme has been born. <laughs> I just want, like, you know how during the filming of The Hobbit, they got Legless in to sing, um, they're taking The Hobbits to Isengard? Yeah. I just want to see the cast of He-Man perform Hey Ya by Four Non Blondes. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine a new, an updated meme? <laughs> yeah. Um, who else is it? So the man who's pl- going to be playing as He-Man um, is Chris Wood. He is the actor famous for series such as Supergirl as Mon-El, um, Kai Parker in The Vampire Diaries, and he was also in The Carrie Diaries as the writer Adam Weaver. So there's your. So that's your He-Man. Who are the other star-studded cast? Uh, Lena Headey, famous for the actress that played as Cersei in Game of Thrones. She's playing as Evil Lynn. Now, now that's something, hey? Yeah, and they have uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Who is she? I, I know the name. I don't remember who she plays. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's it. She was Buffy. <laughs> she's pl- she's playing as um, Tila. Hold on. I've got the original Skeletor voice, and he's not playing Skeletor? Yeah. He's playing Mossman? Did you say that? Yeah. Uh, what is this? <laughs> Oh, you didn't like that. You don't like the choice, don't you? No, you had a perfectly good choice to play Skeletor, and he doesn't. I know Mark Hamill is more evil looking. I mean, if you look at the if if you look at Skeletor back then, it was it was more like a comical comical villain. Like he wasn't like a serious heavy duty villain like Mark Hamill with the Joker, like. Like he would, like Mark Hamill Joker. He would have like a very serious. He would have a very serious tone, but you also have the comical side to it as well. Like Alan Oppenheimer, like he was good, but he was just comical most of the time. But like he, should Skeletor not be comical? He was a villain. Like you know, villains are supposed to be like evil, like evil, evil, like you know. That's like like smooth comical to not have a comical villain. <laughs> Can you say that again, Professor? There's no reason to not have a comical villain. There, there's no re- unless if it's like a side cat, like a background character. Like if, like your main villain shouldn't be comical. Not everything has to be dark and serious. Yeah, but this is He-Man though. Like they, like He-Man's meant to be like the serious cartoon back in the day, but then uh, the reboots have made it, made him a dark villain later on. But. Yeah, Kevin Smith um, is going to be the showrunner for the series, and the direct, uh, and he's, he's going to be joined by Rob David and Bonnet and Keenan. So David has basically said that um, Masters of Revelations 
Masters of the Universe Revelations is for the fans. So we've got so we've got this huge star cast that lo- shares our love and passion for the iconic franchise and deeper meaning of the property. As so Corb- it's for the fans, but they they go and recast Skeletor when they have the real Skeletor right there. <laughs> Hey, it's Mark Hamill. Come on, Mark Hamill versus Oppenheimer. Who would you choose as a as a series? Who would you choose as a villain? Hashtag not my skeletal. <laughs> and there you have it. The professor is now now becoming a trendsetter. <laughs> so. Um, Smith has said, I cannot believe the lineup of talent I get to play with. The incredible star-studded cast that Mattel's Rob David and Netflix's Ted Bate Biasol assembled for our Masters of the Universe series will let any lifelong He-Man fan know we're treating this cartoon seriously and honoring the legendary world of Eternia with an A-list cast. Okay, I was going to ask when the release date is, but there's no release date. <laughs> it's still Guys, in the works. come on. <laughs> it's still hey, hey perfection requires sacrifice and time <laughs> yes let's sacrifice Mark Camel and replace him with Alan Oppenheimer <laughs> you're not gonna let that go are you <laughs> why should I <laughs> anyways uh, so final thoughts on, on this one well I'll watch it when it comes out I just hope it's good it's got all these celebrities but that doesn't mean it's going to be good yeah, that's true. That's true. I I just want to I I I just want to hear Mark Hamill do Skeletor just for this, just to go. Yeah, Mark Hamill. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good role for him. Ah, uh, so anyways, um, moving along. Our final topic for the evening is about SpaceX and how they're now t- doing man-made flight, uh, man missions, um, which is a which its capsule has now arrived at the launch site. Yes, I can't wait for this launch. Oh, I, I hope it does well. It's, I believe, the first manned spacecraft launch from the US since uh, 2011 when the, um, when the shuttle stopped. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I see, yeah, the first line of the article there. Mm-hmm. First spacecraft to carry humans to orbit from American soil, which uh, is great for... Um, it's not just great for the American space industry. It's great for space as a whole, because if anything goes wrong with the uh, well, with the relationship with Russia or the Sputnik, there's no way to get people to space at the moment. Hmm. Yeah. This is going to be a very, very interesting test. And the astronauts um, that's going to be featured will be... Doug Hurley and Bob ben- Benkin. Yes, they're both uh, veterans of the shuttle as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm seeing the um, EMI chamber and looks reminds me of these the old um, the old capsule designs. Like yeah, the, there's not much point in changing it. Yeah, it, it works. So there's not a whole lot of need to actually uh, change the shape of the capsule. And the other advantage is that it needs to be compatible with the. Uh, the docking adapter on the on the ISS. Mm. That's going to be an, that's that's going to be the real test when it once it part, gets, passes through the atmosphere and it flies to the ISS. That's going to be the real test when it. Uh, I'd say the real test is getting to space and back without killing anyone. Mm. Docking with the ISS can be sorted out later, but there's a uh, a standard international docking adapter that they're probably going to use. Oh, they probably are using on the Crew Dragon. Yeah. Can you imagine this becoming a, a big, big success? I hope it does. I want to see yeah. more people going to space. Yeah. Richard more Branson. More people in space be... is more science, more deliveries, cheaper flights. <laughs> Can you imagine the Virgin Galactic now going, all right, we're going to have to top this. We're going to top SpaceX on this one. Come on, guys. Let's work uh, on it. Let's work on it. They're different uh, projects. Virgin Galactic is space tourism. SpaceX is practical space travel. So yeah, you go to Virgin Galactic if you have like two hundred grand sitting around and you just want to go to low Earth orbit. Mm. Or I don't think they even actually go to orbit. You go to SpaceX if you want to get to the ISS or to Mars. Yeah. Yeah. I also hope this brings in a, a lot more innovation when it comes to travel 
Maybe we might. Maybe we can develop more new and powerful engines. Yeah, the uh, the engines SpaceX use are, I believe, standard across the the range. So they use the same engines on Falcon uh, Falcon Nine, Falcon Heavy, and Starship. But Starship's still a long way from manned flight. Yeah, your SpaceX rocket engines—they've got the Merlin, the Kestrel, the Draco, and the Super Draco. So your Merlin one and Kestrels are your kerosene-based engines. Your Raptor and Methalex thrust, uh, thruster, that's the methane-based engines. And the uh, hypergolic engines are your Draco and Super Draco. Yeah, they use different engines for different stages of flight, I believe. Yeah. And they uh, developed a couple of different models while they were designing the Falcon series. Yeah, yeah. I assume this is going to launch off a of Falcon 9 as well. I think so. Hold on a second. Um, Falcon yes, 9. Oh, yep. Yeah, I've just followed back to the uh, the NASA source. Yep. And they say it will launch on Falcon 9 from Launch Complex 39A. They keep saying, like, they call it Historic Launch Complex 39A because that's uh, where Apollo 11 launched, I believe. It's nice just touch. a bit of a mouthful saying Historic Launch Complex 39A. Every time. <laughs> Can you imagine being a NASA and you go like, okay, uh, SpaceX, okay, you, well, you have to launch at Historical Launch Complex Day 9A. Yeah, and the uh, the SpaceX live stream. Yeah. They must say Historic Launch Complex 39A at least 10 times. <laughs> oh, that's one heck of a tongue twister. I hate to be the person behind the microphone for that. Imagine after the tenth time, and they go out like, "Oh, thank God, I had to say that ten times." But I hope this reboots the whole space, tra- um, space travel pro, the space shuttle programs, as in regular flights from Earth to the ISS. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it will. I mean, we've had the Soyuz for 50 years or something now. It's been essentially the same spacecraft. Yeah. They've developed different rockets to carry it, but uh, they still use the Soyuz pod. So yeah. this is really the first innovation in uh, manned flight since, I don't know, I think the first uh, shuttle flight was the late 70s. Yeah, for, uh, it should it, it should be, yeah. Yeah. The first shuttle flight, it was on... Uh, the first orbital test flight was 1981. Okay. Yep. Yep. So how do you rate the success for this one? High, high, uh, high rate of success or...? I'm not... Well, I'm not knowledgeable enough to make any claims on that, but I don't think they'd, NASA would be allowing them to fly manned flights without guaranteed success. NASA is so risk adverse, mm. and they have to be now because yeah. um, they've lost a couple of crews in living memory. The yeah. uh, Challenger in Columbia. Oh yeah, who could and, forget those? Yeah, I think if NASA did lose another crew, it would be a huge blow for the American space industry. You'd get a lot of people questioning why they're even bothering if they can't fly safely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping it goes well, but. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be interesting next few years after if if this flight gets successful. Hmm. Um, so moving along, um, Professor, what game have you been playing? I've been playing Particle Fleet Emergence. Nice. It's a spin-off of the uh, Creeper World games, where instead of battling a flood of creeper, you battle individual particles, and they form swarms and fly at you. Um, the thing I think is really interesting is that the spacecraft are modular. So you build a, a spacecraft, but each tile of the craft, each weapon and armor panel is an individual target. So you can fly, and there's a hammer ship, which is basically all armor plates, which you can fly straight through a flood of um, particles to destroy them. You can rotate your ships to take the hits on a better sheltered side or bring different guns in range. So what guns um, do you have? Uh, I'm about two-thirds of the way through the game based on the um, the 
the achievements. But um, the I have a couple of cruisers, a destroyer, ships with really big guns that excel at taking down enemy ships. Um, ships that can absorb friendly particulate and then redirect it and fire it in different directions. I don't think there's as much interesting physics going on as there is in Creeper World, and the ships feel a bit samey, except for the special weapons. Yeah, it looks it, this when I'm looking at the screenshots, it feels like an eight eight bit design, but and it's fun. It looks cool, but yeah, you're right. It does feel samey in terms of the ship's colors and whatnot. Yeah, and I'm not sure. Like, I don't know what um what the advantage is to having, uh, say, the cruiser over the destroyer most of the time. Fire rate is a bit different. The types of guns are a bit different. But I think the balance is a bit too easy for me because I can just sort of spam my ships and not have to worry about, you know, worry too much. Mm. Although I am up to a level that I've lost a couple of times in a row. So maybe there's just a... Uh, late difficulty cliff yeah what's the biggest flaw in this game uh well i like that it's doing something different to creeper world but Mm -hmm. i don't think it does it as well as creeper world does so is this more an update or uh no it's a spin-off set between creeper world 2 and 3 i think okay okay that'll be fun so how many nerdy beanies would you give this one out of uh four out of five four out of five oh nice yeah nice it's a good, it's a solid game. It's got a few issues, but the um, it's different to most other RTS games. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's what I look for in a game now. I look for something that's different to what I've played before. Yeah. How's the game economy like? Uh, it's got a sort of streaming economy. You, um, you build mines on energy sources. And mm-hmm. as long as your ships are within that range, they can pick up energy packets, which are used to reload or repair. And you can build tanker ships to allow you to push a frontier out past your borders. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the ships have quite limited, um, quite limited ammo reserves when you've got so many uh, particles flying at you. Yeah. This this type of this type of game reminds me of um remember the good old asteroid games? Yeah, I can see that resemblance. Yeah, there aren't has- any particles that break up that I've run into yet, but actually no, there are. Yeah, I can really see that resemblance now. <laughs> Holy smokes! It's like they they ripped off asteroids and <laughs> done it better. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, moving along, um, I've been playing Warzone 2100. It's an it's an old school RTS game. It's set on Earth in the in the year 2100 when things went crazy and um, people people died after nu- nuclear winter. And it has a very 90s feel to it. Well, it came out in 1999, so that kind of uh, makes your point there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I so I've been so there are three campaigns you get. You have you got the alpha, you got the beta, and the gamma. And I've been playing the alpha for a good few minutes now, and I gotta say the contr- the mouse controls kind of um it, it very very um shaky. Like you can't control the mouse properly. But you can you, you can create units and you can design units, which is fun in itself. Um, it's oh, not like I the... forgot to mention that about particle fleet. Yeah, there is an option where you can build your own custom fleet. Oh, nice! Yeah, so you can design your ships based on these tiles and mm-hmm. choose to use them in combat instead of your regular fleet. So mm-hmm. there's two scoreboards there: one for the story ships. And one for your custom ships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like games that have that feature. Yeah, they're fun. The, the endless possibilities of inventing some new, new, new stuff. and. To- Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Testing them out. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. As long as it's well balanced, though. Otherwise, you just end up in a scenario where you're like, the best weapon is one that has like all of the light lasers just because that adds up to the best DPS or something. Mm. Like MechWarrior 2 had a uh, an issue where the best mech would be one with all of the lasers and the goal became shoot your enemy with your first shot because if you miss, you will overheat and shut down and become a sitting duck. But if you hit them, nothing can stand up to you. <laughs> it's like, oh, crud, the cooldown time. No. Yeah. And it, like, it's an interesting tactic, but it sort of betrays the point of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with Warzone 2100, so basically the game economy is basically you have to rely on oil to build your base and you ha- um, uh, to build your base for economy wise. And you have to use power as well to, to fuel the, to, to fuel the base and make in creating and researching new, new products and stuff. Um, the cutscenes, the F and V cutscenes there, even though they're nineties style, it, it's fine. It's, it's like nostalgia in, in essence. So, so the actual like live actors, um, that's what uh, F and V means. Yeah. Not well, kind of live actors, but there's it's it's kind of live actors, but it's not live actors. Like you've got oh, okay. the whole, you've got like the cars like driving around, but there's no human. Like you can't see the human faces, but you can see the human shadow per se. Yeah. So okay, yeah. so it's just pretty rendered. Yeah, but it's not uh, FMV. Okay, FMV means that they've got some actors and a camera and gone and filmed cutscenes. <laughs> Which um, is a bit of a hilarious bit of 90s gaming that we seem to have lost. Yeah. Except for the, the game Roundabout that came out two or three years ago. Was, <laughs> um, all the cutscenes were FMB, but they paid no attention to... It was a bit of a homage to 90s-style FMV, where they paid no attention to continuity or consistency, so you could tell that people were um, only there for some scenes. Like, the lead character is played by a woman who... um, But in some scenes, there's someone sitting in the backseat of the taxi, and someone will reach around to the backseat, and there'll be this big, beefy, hairy, armed guy. So it's quite obviously not the same actor, but it adds to the sort of surreal humor of that game. Okay. So, yeah, um, as I said, my biggest flaw for this game is the controls, um, the um, mouse reactions. It's not reactive enough. Um, But, yeah, there's just limited limited stuff. But, yeah, this was a 90s game, so, yeah. Well, the good news is it's an open-source game, so... If you've got a problem, you can fix it. Yeah. But they do advertise it as having FMV, so maybe we're confusing each other. Yeah, yeah. But what's um, the like, difference between the three campaigns? The difference, I think it's more of the difficulty, I would say. I haven't tried the beta and gamma yet, so I'm going to try that out um, in, the next few, in the next few days, so... You will hear my, you will you will hear me scream and scream in anger. I hope not, because I live a long way from you. <laughs> Maybe I'll scream like He Man. Oh, I have the power. Uh, um, nerdy beanies wise, I will give this game three point five out of five. So, so yeah, it has um room for improvement. I hope to see more of these games in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've got a couple of shout-outs. Uh, on the 16th of February 2020, Sonic the Hedgehog earns $100 million at the global box office. So it's dominated the box office charts after debuting $100 million worldwide. Sonic, based on the popular Sega video game, pulled in $43 million when it's launched in 43 international territories, representing 60% of its foreign footprint. Uh, among overseas markets, Mexico saw the biggest start with 6.7 million, followed by the United Kingdom with 6.2 million, France with 4.3 million, and Germany with 3.3 million. 
Uh, Sonic easily took the number one spot on both international and domestic box office charts, knocking last week's last weekend's victor, Warner Brothers Birds of Prey, to second place, uh, which pocketed 23 million from 78 foreign markets, dipping 46% from its inaugural outing. To date, Birds of Prey has made 83 million abroad and 142 million worldwide. That's yeah. impressive. I think the other big mistake that Birds of Prey made compared to Sonic. Well, it's not really a mistake because that's the movie they were making. But the um, the reason why Sonic is doing so much better, apart from possibly being a better movie, I haven't seen either of them, is that you can take your six-year-old to see Sonic. Like, Birds of Prey can only be seen by 18-year-olds and older, which has historically severely limited your audience. Yeah. And plus, like, with Sonic, this is the one that... Um, this is the movie that that the director listened to its fans, basically. Remember the first Sonic trailer um, the, the world saw and how horrible it was? Which I made still have nightmares. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. <laughs> A kid painted blue is not Sonic. <laughs> it looked so bad. <laughs> oh. and, the, and this is the... And people loved it. People like it because... They listen. The studio listened, and they redesigned Sonic. I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like it if some if someone listened to what you just said and do it and did it right? Yeah, Shane Katz didn't get that memo. <laughs> oh, they oh. did apparently release a uh, graphics update partway through the run, but <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh, that'll be like a DLC. <laughs> Pay $5 extra for a new graphics update for the Cats movie. <laughs> I mean, it's basically going to see a 3D movie these days. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a good thing it's, it was Cats and not Aladdin. <laughs> I mean, what's the difference between the blue, child painted blue that was the original Sonic or Will Smith painted blue? <laughs> I think it was the cringe. One was more cringy than the other. Yeah, I, mean, I can see which, that. Which, I mean, which one was more cringy to you, Sonic or Genie? Uh, that's a tough question. Honestly, for me, I think Genie cringed me more than Sonic. Sonic was just, what? <laughs> that just, it just made me go in shock and horror mode. Going, what the hell did you do? Well, I'm getting the feeling that people paint a blue is not a sustainable business model for me. <laughs> so, hey, yeah. hey, hey! The only the only successful blue painted thing that's, uh, that's still going Eiffel sixty five blue song. <laughs> yeah. So you're gonna watch it eventually, or maybe when it comes out on Netflix. Yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Anyways, uh, moving along, 17th of February 2020, Sasuke Beer, um, daughter of food icon Maggie Beer, uh, dies unexpectedly. Um, So Sasuke Beer has died unexpectedly and peacefully in her sleep at the weekend. Uh, Sasuke was the eldest daughter of Barossa Valley food icon Maggie Beer, who shared a statement on social media on Sunday saying her family had, had broken hearts. It's with the broken hearts that we need to let you all know that our beautiful, extraordinary daughter, Saskia, uh, died unexpectedly yet peacefully in her sleep on Friday night, the post said. Uh, She died at the age of 46. (sighs) Terrible way to go. Yeah. Um, 17th of February 2020, Holden is shutting down at the end of the year. Oh, uh, shutting down Australian icon. That does not end well. That does not go well. Ford fans um, are cheering. Uh, well, I was, reading, I was reading an article. They're saying Ford fans will, will will help out the Holden employees by giving them jobs, yeah. apparently. Yeah, that's what I've heard internally from people who work with Ford as well. Yeah. They're uh, going to try to pick up a few people from Holden. But yeah. I think the writing's been on the wall. Yeah. They, um, they haven't, like, they've shut down all their manufacturing in Australia years ago. Yeah. This is going to affect a lot of people hard. And, yeah. blame the, and I'm going to blame the politicians on this one for not trying hard enough to save their jobs. I, I don't know if that's really the politicians' um, job to make sure Holden doesn't collapse. If Holden aren't, aren't filling a market space that people want to purchase, 
do they really need to be a company? Yeah, but it's it's an Australian icon. Like, I mean, taking out Holden, that's like that's like taking a, an onion from the hot dog. You know, can't like, take the like... onion off it if the sausage is on top. <laughs> you gotta but take you the sausage I mean? off like, first. But you see why my my point is it's like it's an Australian icon like it yeah so be... so it's football meat pies kangaroos yeah you take you get rid of any of those and you're gonna get a lot of people a lot of pissed off Australians if Australians decided they didn't want to buy meat pies anymore and the meat pie industry collapsed should the government prop it up they would they could they should. I don't trust our government to prop anything up at the moment really uh, yeah. <laughs> In in the current state, yeah, I wouldn't even trust them with a ten foot pole. Yeah. Um. So so G- about six hundred Holden employees will lose their jobs after parent company Journal Motors announced that it would axe the iconic Australian car brand by the end of the year. GM said that the brand was no longer competitive in the current market and would be retired from sales, design, and engineering across Australia and New Zealand by 2021. The announcement coincides with GM's decision to withdraw Chevrolet from the domestic market in Thailand by the end of the year. Hmm. Uh, On to our remembrances. On the 17th of February 1909, Geronimo, prominent leader and medicine man from the Bendakohi tribe of the Apache, Bendakohi band of the Apache tribe, from 1850 to 1886, Geronimo joined with members of three other uh, Chirich Kahua. um, Apache bands. Oh, uh, you're gonna have fun with this next line. Oh, this is dang. <laughs> Tesh Hende and Go Kanade and Nadeni. I think that's probably Chehendi, Sokendi, Sokenendi, and Nadeni. Yeah, I could be wrong. <laughs> we, we we could be dead wrong on this one. So apologies yeah. to our American Native American listeners. Sorry um, to cap. <laughs> to carry out numerous um, raids as well as fight against Mexican and U.S. military campaigns in the northern Mexico states of Chihuahua. 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 Chihuahua and Sonora and in the southern western American territories of New Mexico and Arizona. Geronimo's raids and related combat actions were part of the prolonged period of the Apache U. United States conflict, which started with the American settlement in Apache lands following the end of the war with Mexico in 1848. During Geronimo's final period of conflict from 1876 to 1886, he surrendered three times and accepted life on the Apache reservations in Arizona. Do you reckon uh, the guy who accepted the third surrender was like, like, do you reckon at any point he thought, hold up, this guy might be trying to pull a sneaky on me? <laughs> It's like, um, surrendered. Okay, third time now. Oh, <laughs> it's it's like a uh, it's 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 like one of those um high school reports. Like third time now. Okay, uh, what did you do? Uh, reservation life was confining to the free moving Apache tribe, and they resented restrictions on their customary way of life. He was a superb leader in raiding and warfare. He frequently led um, large numbers of men beyond his following. At any one time, he would be in command of 30 to 50 Apaches. He died from pneumonia at the age of 79 in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And do you know why people still say his name today? Humor me. He rode a horse off a cliff at an American army base. (laughs) Yeah, so he, as a form of protest, he rode a horse off a cliff yelling his name and I think just broke his leg. (laughs) Now Now that's a brave, brave man there. Yeah. Um, 17th of February, 2017, Alan Aldridge, British artist, graphic designer, and illustrator. He's best known for his psychedelic artwork made for books and record covers by The Beatles and The Who. He designed a series of science fiction book covers for Penguin Books. He made a big impression with his illustrations for The Beatles' illustrated lyrics book. Um, he also provided illustrations for The Penguin's Book of Comics, a history of British and American comic art. His work was characterized by flowing cartoony style and soft airbrushing, very much in step with the psychedelic styles of the time. His work include the 1971 anti-war poster entitled A Great Place for Hamburgers, but who'd want to live there? 
Um, Aldridge was also created. Um, Aldridge also created the artwork for Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy by Elton John in 1975. He also is the creator of the Hard Rock Cafe logo. Ah, that's that's something you don't see every day. Uh, he died at the age of 78 in Los Angeles, California. Um, 18th of February 2019, Tony Myers. Um, Canadian film editor, writer, director, and producer, best known for her 3D IMAX work. Ms. Meyer's half-century in filmmaking include credits as writer, producer, narrator, and editor, as well as director. Much of that work involved documentaries that made use of IMAX technology, which was big, which were the biggest screen and enhanced sound, create a more vivid viewing experience than a conventional movie offers. Ms. Meyer's directed three feature-length IMAX films, Space Station 3D, about the construction and occupation of the International Space Station, Hubble 3D, which co- documented the 2009 shuttle flight to repair the Hubble telescope, and A Beautiful Earth, which concentrated on images of Earth shot from space. All had marquee narrators, Tom Cruise for the first, Leonardo DiCaprio for the second, Jennifer Lawrence for the last. That, that'd be cool. Imagine hearing um, Jennifer Lawrence doing the rating. Yeah. Yeah, those IMAX movies, I've only seen one of them, but uh, not any of those ones, but it is a really cool thing. Yeah. I would love, to, I would if, if she was alive right now, I would love to see David Attenborough do a narration with, with, with her movie. I mean, David Attenborough, that's very, David Attenborough's voice, beautiful voice. Um, she explained in a 2010 interview with the Gazette, of Montreal, the sun rises and sets every 90 minutes in space, which means there w- wasn't much time to capture the shots we asked them to get. She also said there's no time or room to say, could you move to the right? It would make a better shot. <laughs> she, died from the, uh, she died from cancer at the age of 76 in Toronto. Uh, On to our well, famous birthdays, uh, 16th of... Just one thing there. If the sun rises and sets every 90 minutes, Sure, you don't have a lot of time to get the photo, but you have a lot of uh, attempts to try again later on. Yeah, but come, the prep time for a spacewalk would be pretty, oh, pretty if they're doing long, a spacewalk, then, Yeah, hmm? if they're doing a spacewalk, then it would. But if they were just like, I don't know, mounting the camera on the outside or uh, filming out the cupola. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on the 16th of February 1964, Christopher Eccleston, um, English actor, the recipient of a Emmy Award, two BAFTA Award nominations, Eccleston is best known for his work in television and in film, in particular for his collaboration with directors Danny Boyle and Michael Winterbottom, and writers Pete Flannery, Jimmy McGovern, and Russell T. Davies. Uh, Eccleston gained atten- garnered attention for his film roles as Derek Bentley in Let Him Have It and David Stevens in Shallow Grave, and for his TV- television performance in Cracker and Hillsborough. His BAFTA-nominated performance as Nikki Hutchinson in the BBC miniseries Our Fr- Friends in the North established Eccleston as a household name in the UK. He followed the okay, serial... what's his most important TV role? <laughs> uh, he, he was... Part. Come on. <laughs> he was famous... He's very, very famous for the portrayal of the Ninth Doctor in the 2000 revival of the Doctor Who series. 2005 revival. Yeah. Yes, yeah, he's because... since 1996 to play the Doctor. Yeah. yeah. He departed the role after a single series winning the National Television Award and receiving Broadcasting Press Guild Award and BAFTA Saimuru Sy- Award nominations for his performance. He's you rec- know, uh, he, it's coming out now that part of the reason why he doesn't want to go back to Doctor Who is because he was going through a, a hard time with mental illness at that point, and uh, including, I believe... All right, so as Craig has once again decided not to play, uh, so while he was filming the season of Doctor Who that he was in, I believe he was suffering from anorexia. It's um, one of those stories that he doesn't talk about much because it was a hard time for him and he doesn't want to go back there. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's coming out now that that's part of the reason why he couldn't handle more than one season of Doctor Who, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, apparently there were rumors going around that he would, that um, Eccleston was going to be in the Day of the Doctor. Yeah, the Maybe. original script and plan was to have him, but 
he didn't want to work with the BBC after what he'd been through. Yeah. He, um, part of the thing is he also had some stories about how the crew was, the producers weren't treating the actors very well. And um, he reckoned that it was, he reckoned that it's not right to continue to be part of it, which is another reason why he left. Yeah. It's very unfortunate because he has a lot of fans for his girl in Doctor Who. Yeah, that, he he played what he played a good doctor. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, um, so he so Eccleston also has played title roles in productions of Hamlet and Macbeth, as well as starring productions of Miss Julie, A Doll's House, and Antigone. He was born in Langworthy, Salford. Seventeenth uh, of February, eighteen sixty-four. Banjo Patterson, Andrew Barton, um, Banjo Patterson was an Australian bush poet, journalist, and author. He wrote. He wrote many ballads and poems about Australian life, focusing particularly on the rural and outback areas, including the dis- the district of Binalong, New South Wales, where he spent most of his childhood. Patterson's most noble poems include Clancy of the Overflow, The Man from Snowy River, and Waltzing Matilda, which is regarded widely as Australia's unofficial national anthem. He was born in Narambla, near Orange, New South Wales. Um, 17th of February 1934, Barry Humphreys, an Australian comedian, actor, satirist, artist, and author. He's best known for writing and playing his onstage and television alter egos, Dane Edna Everidge and Sir Les Patterson. He's also a film producer and scriptwriter, star of London's West End Musical Theatre, and award-winning writer and an accomplished landscape painter. That's an impressive resume. Uh, Humphreys's character brought him international renown, and he ap- also appeared in numerous stage productions, films, and television shows. Originally conceived as a Doughty Mooney Ponds housewife who caricatured Australian suburban complacency and insularity, Dane Ed- Edna Average has evolved over four decades to become a st- satire of stardom, a gaudy, gaudily dressed, acid-tongued, egomaniacal, internationally fetid housewife, Giga Star. He was born in Kew, Melbourne, Victoria. Yeah, pretty nuts that um, so much of Australian comedy involves guys in drag. Yeah. Got Dan Medna, Auntie Jack, a few others I don't remember off the top of my head. That's fair, that's fair. Um... So, events of interest. On the 17th of February, 1864, H.L. Hunley Hunley, or Hunley uh, made her only attack against an enemy target on the night of February 17, 1864. The target was the USS Halsetonic. Halsetonic, I think. Yep. Thank you. Uh, 1,240 long tons, which is 1,260 tonne. Wooden hull steam powered sloop of war with 12 ca- large cannons, which was stationed at the entrance to Charleston, about five miles, which is eight, eight kilometers offshore. Desperate to break the na- naval blockade of the city, Lieutenant George E. Dixon and a crew of seven volunteers successfully attacked Housatonic, uh, ramming Hunley's only spar-, spar torpedo against the enemy's hull. The torpedo was detonated, sending Housatonic to the bottom in five minutes, along with five of her crewmen. Hunley did not survive the attack and sunk and sank, taking with with her all eight members of her third crew, and lo- and was lost. Well, it's not just all eight members of the third crew. The Hunley has one of the worst kill to death ratios of any uh, any warship because. It sank three times and only sank one enemy ship. <laughs> Mind you, this attack during the Civil War was an important turning point in naval warfare, though. Yeah, it was the first submarine sinking. Well, first yeah. submarine attack that successfully sank a ship. Yeah, so and that would be the direct progenitor of what would eventually become international submarine warfare. Although the victory was pyrrhic and short-lived, since the submarine did not survive the attack and was lost in with all eight Confederate crewmen. Um, 17th of February 1984, Kroll made its way to, into theaters in Finland. The film was released under Kroll Ja Nakimation, uh, Philholinen, or Kroll and the Invisible Enemy. 
Yeah, I'm not even gonna give uh, helping you pronounce that a go. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Directed by Peter Yates, the feature starred Ken Marshall and Lizette Anthony, and here's the plot summary as provided by IMDb.com. A prince and a fellowship of companions set out to rescue his bride and a fortress of alien invaders who have arrived on their home planet. Kral underwent a very harsh uh, and expensive and dangerous production process. The film's huge budget ballooned mainly due to uh, the designers having to make numerous alterations to the set corresponding to the heavily evolving script. The film was a commercial failure upon release and critical opinion has been mixed, both upon release and in retrospect. Numerous reviewers have highlighted its visual effects and soundtrack, while several critics have criticized its plots, uh, plot as being derivative and nonsensical. The film has gone to, to achieve cult film status. And, that's one, and that was one of the films that launched the, crea- um, launched the careers of Liam Neeson and Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> so Liam Neeson was in this movie. Yeah. About a, uh, a prince rescuing his bride who was being kidnapped. Yep. <laughs> I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. But I have a set of very special skills. <laughs> oh, uh, the movie was fu- the movie's funny to watch though. It, it, it has its moments. <laughs> but does Liam Neeson have any movies that aren't taken? <laughs> well, there is the grey. Uh and um Love Actually. Yeah. But his wife in that movie is like he he doesn't have a wife in that movie. So maybe she was taken and he hasn't rescued her. Ah, <laughs> oh, 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 too soon, too soon. The movie's been out since like two thousand. I know. But, you know. <laughs> All right, um, and finally, on the 17th of February, 1989, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure came into theaters. Flick premiered on this day in 1989, and it still enjoys a cult audience today. So much so that a third installment is said to be in the works. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure received generally positive reviews and was a success at the box office, grossing $40.5 million against a $6.5 million budget. The picture had been planned for a 1988 release and filming and production had completed on schedule. However, the original film distributor, DEG, fell into significant debt in the late 1987 and by 1988 had filed for bankruptcy. At this point, the film was in post-production that director Stephen Hennick Hen- uh, yeah, attempted to show around the rough cut to other distributors. Henek said many of the companies were confused, asking him, are there kids that really speak like this? On seeing the film, however, the cut had an extremely popular reaction from a test audience of volunteers pulled from local malls, which led to a small bidding war from production companies to get the title. (laughs) I like how companies said that line, are there kids who actually speak like this? That's like... The most boomer thing I've ever heard. <laughs> hey, that really comes across as, uh, although that's a boomer giving uh, giving kids credit and then being like, wait a minute, is this movie being fair to the kids? Uh, it makes you wonder, like, whether the companies, whether the companies then and now are, like, are really out of touch. Um, yes. Fair enough. Um, anything of else? Companies before- are out of touch. Yeah, that's true. Uh, anyways, anything else before we end the show for tonight and for this week? Uh, have you listened to any of the TNC podcasts this week? Yes, I've actually been listening to Epigraphy. Yeah, Epigraphy, the poetry podcast. How is that going so far? Oh, it's it's soothing and fun to listen to i love that i love the podcast it's pretty cool you get to hear um a couple of the members from the that's not canon productions um such as um your man alex for example doing doing a couple of poems our podfather doing a couple of poems and it's pretty cool it's pretty cool some of the poems so i recommend i recommend people should check it out um Anything else from you, Professor? Well, Buck's not here, so I'm going to have to do it. Look after <laughs> yourselves and stay hydrated. Ah, uh, see you guys. Uh- here we go. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.